0: Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about recent advances in breast imaging with Dr. Kieran Shaikh, Dr. Sheikh is an assistant professor of clinical radiology and biomedical imaging at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology.
1: So, Kieran, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. Uh, Originally, I was
2: always kind of interested
1: in medicine. I had
2: uh, my parents were both in the medical career, so I was always kind of going towards medicine. But in general. Uh, I ended up uh, in radiology actually later on in my career. I was in medical school kind of gearing towards actually neurology, neurosurgery. And then as I kind of went down my path, I met a lot of radiologists and they were amazing mentors. And they introduced me to the field of diagnostic imaging. And I kind of uh, started figuring out that besides being kind of involved in the care and the treatment of uh, patients, I actually started becoming a lot more intrigued about just the initial impact of diagnosing disease and being a part of the forefront of imaging. And so that's kind of how I ended up actually in radiology. And then specifically within breast imaging, it was actually when I was in medical school, uh, again, I had those radiologists that kind of were my mentors and then uh, ended up just in radiology residency and saw that the unique relationship that the radiologists had with their breast patients and how important breast imaging was for just kind of population screening and the kind of larger impact that they could have. So that's how I ended up in breast imaging.
1: So, you know, a lot of us know a little bit about uh, breast imaging in the sense that most people know about the importance of getting a mammogram, but what tends to be a little bit confusing right now is what really are the recommendations for screening imaging for Let's start with people at average risk. So let's suppose you don't have a huge family history or at least not a family history that you know of. You don't have a genetic predisposition. You're just a regular individual in society. Um, the recommendations for breast imaging in terms of screening for breast cancer seem to be a moving target. Where are we now and what do you recommend for your patients? Just kind of starting from the beginning, what is breast imaging? So in, in
2: general, we have different types of imaging modalities that we do for breast imaging. We do mammography, ultrasound, MRI. For screening evaluation, mammography is our gold standard screening exam for breast cancer. Uh, It's non-invasive, it's effective, it allows us to have early detection of cancer. And so that's actually the initial screening evaluation. So now our Society of Breast Imaging and Academy and College of Radiology recommend that women with average lifetime risk of breast cancer begin screening at the age of 40. And like you said, there is a lot of confusion just because of the fact that uh, there are lots of different, uh, there's lots of different imaging studies out there that have kind of discussed about what's the best timing to pretty much start the screening. And so, different countries with different risk profiles of their population start screening at different times. And so, in essence, you have some areas where they're recommending from 40 to 45 that they can just have the option to start screening, and then 45 to 54, then you start annual. And I would say the most important thing that we always know is that mammography is the most effective exam for early detection of cancer. And since the advent of mammography, we've actually reduced mortality by 30%. And that's been documented since the 1990s. So all this early detection of breast cancer through mammography screening is important to figure out. I mean, it's the main reason why we have the significant decrease in breast cancer mortality. So we have to kind of figure out and parcel out what's, what's the most important thing. And so SBI, ACR, uh, ACOG, which is our uh, OB uh, gynecologist, uh, everyone recommends, again, starting screening at the age of 40 and on the option of an annual basis. Once women get older and their breast density starts to decrease, that's actually the reason why then in other countries they have the option of doing it every other year. And the reason is, is the breast density decreasing allows, confers a slightly decreased risk of breast cancer because there's less fibroglandular tissue. And so that's the reason why that these recommendations then end up being where it could be switching off to every other year or less and less. But we do recommend that women with average risk still continue screening as long as they have an expected life expectancy of 10 more years. So for some that may be in their 80s and others with very good lifespan, they might be later. So it's it's a discussion that women would have with their primary care physicians.
1: What about for women who are at higher risk? So let's suppose um, you have a family history of breast cancer or maybe you have a, a genetic
2: mutation. High-risk women are women with greater than 20% lifetime risk of developing breast cancer. And for those women, that's a certain subset of women. And that could either be women that may have a mutation like BRCA1 or BRCA2. They may have had a history of chest radiation between the ages of 10 and 30, um, strong family history possibly like a premenopausal breast cancer diagnosis in a first degree relative or they have certain genetic disorders and those are our high risk patients for those patients we do recommend they actually start annual screening mammography at the age of 30 and it could actually even be as early as 25 so if let's say i am a you know 25 year old female and my mother got diagnosed with breast cancer at 35, I can actually begin screening at 25, but we don't recommend earlier than 25 just because of uh, the degree of dense tissue and it limits the sensitivity of mammography. So we start mammography as early as 25, but recommend at the age of 30 for high risk. And then in conjunction with that, we do recommend also breast MRI. So as you alluded to, breast MRI is actually a very effective type of imaging modality for screening evaluation, and we perform it in conjunction with mammography in these high-risk women. And breast MRI is, in essence, an imaging exam where we give them contrast, and MRI images are obtained. And what it allows us to do is see very small lesions that may be missed on mammography because of that contrast enhancement. So it's showing us tiny little vascular lesions that are enhancing, and then they're seen as discrete amongst the non-enhancing breast tissue. So breast MRI is helpful in these high-risk patients. One of the things that we notice a lot is people get confused, they say, well, if breast MRI is so sensitive, then why do I even have to do mammography at the age of 30, why wouldn't I just do breast MRI? And the important thing to note is that although it is the most sensitive and in, in with the highest cancer detection rate, it can be sometimes so sensitive, it can be difficult to distinguish between normal and abnormal findings. So it can potentially lead to unnecessary biopsies. So that's why we don't recommend breast MRI routinely on average risk patients. Uh, We specify for these high risk patients and we always do it in conjunction with mammography because it also actually doesn't always detect stage zero breast cancer or what we call DCIS. And that sometimes may show up more discreetly as calcifications on mammography. So it's really the combination of the two. Mammography is our gold standard, which can allow us to see very, very tiny, subtle, faint calcifications. And then also breast MRI, which allows us to see very, very tiny vascular lesions.
1: And so in these patients where you're recommending... Uh, annual mammography and you're also recommending annual MRI, one question that often comes up is, should you do the two in conjunction? So, for example, every year get a mammogram and an MRI at about the same time or should you stagger them? So, have your mammogram, say, in January and your MRI, say, in July and that way still have each test uh, every year um, but have a six-month interval between tests. What do you recommend?
2: Exactly. I think that's just as you labeled it. It's, it's, it's very helpful to space it out by six months. And what that allows you to do is that you're getting some screening evaluation every six months. The breast MRI at one point and then six months later do the mammography. It's also helpful because of the fact that you are giving contrast with the breast MRI. If you did do mammography and breast MRI on the same day, you would have to make sure that you did the mammogram first and then the breast MRI. Otherwise, then the contrast enhancement in the breast would uh, affect the results of the mammography. So we will recommend every six months. So you do one, either a breast MRI and mammography, and then the other exam six months later. And that allows us to see you also every six months. You're being evaluated every six months and you're getting imaging every six months.
1: So, you know, this brings us to another question, which is one of the newer modalities that is coming into the fore is something called contrast-enhanced mammography. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how is that the same or different from standard mammography and how is that the same or different from MRI and how does it fit into standard practice now or does it? Yeah, it's, it's very exciting.
2: I think, you know, in general... Our goal as radiologists, we're always trying to positively impact patient outcome. We're always trying to try to diagnose uh, these diseases as, as early as possible. And with that, trying to kind of keep on pushing the envelope for our imaging modalities. And what we notice is that if we can use more of these functional-based methods, meaning uh, this imaging with contrast, so breast MRI or contrast-enhanced mammography, then we'd be able to see these tiny lesions. And the great thing is, is the contrast-enhanced mammography is the combination of them both. Where you do the mammography, you can see these very tiny, subtle, fine pleomorphic calcifications that could represent stage 0 breast cancer, uh, carcinoma and situ, And then you can also have uh, the breast and MRI which allows, uh, you know, the contrast enhance, which again allows you evaluation of these tiny enhancing lesions. So the way we do contrast enhanced mammography is that it's kind of a dual energy exposure where you take the images prior to giving the contrast. Then you give the contrast in iodinated administration. You give the contrast through the IV as if you were giving any like a CT exam, a contrast enhanced uh, CT exam or MRI exam and then you do a subtraction of the two of the contrast image and then the non-contrast image and it allows those areas that are enhancing and then you can see you can visualize those enhancing areas again over the non-enhancing tissue and you have the combination of the two, so it's great. Uh, if we do see any abnormality with the contrast-enhanced mammography, we often can actually target just based on that. And we are still in the development of, but it's it's really it's really great is that we're able to now actually target on contrast-enhanced mammography. And if for some reason we think that there's a solid mass there that we can see on ultrasound, we'll recommend a targeted ultrasound to evaluate it. And potentially, if there's a lot of findings on contrast-enhanced mammography, uh, where we feel as though further dedicated evaluation with the breast and can be performed, then we can also recommend that too. So it's, it's a great initial exam now. Where are we within the span of it being in screening versus diagnostic? Uh, I would say in academic centers, uh, everyone is pretty much doing it now, definitely for research reasons, trying to see what is the increased cancer detection rate and see and prove that it's something that would be helpful for the screening population. So in general, if you just think about like screening population, every 1,000 women that has a mammogram, just a routine 2D mammogram, uh, you can detect about anywhere from about 2 to two to Two to seven breast cancers, and then what it does is the contrast-enhanced mammo actually allows you to even actually get an additional ten per the one thousand. So it's 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 very helpful. Uh, what we need to do is just look at the the risk of the procedures. Anytime you're giving any contrast, uh, and it's iodinated contrast, you have to uh, make sure that you have staff that are able to put in the IV, that the patient can tolerate the IV contrast. And then also if there's any kind of uh, contrast reactions, but these things are handled by the radiologists on a routine basis with all uh, contrast imaging studies. So that's something that's easy to do. It's just really just making sure about the cost and just seeing the effect on the patient experience that they're able to tolerate it. And then once that's really been proven, then I really do think that it's going to become our main mainstream way of screening all patients.
1: Great. Well, we're going to learn a lot more right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about improvements in breast imaging with my guest, Dr. Karen
0: Shake. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital where their liver cancer program brings together a dedicated group of specialists whose focus is determining the best personalized treatment plan for each patient. Learn more at smilocancerhospital.org. The American Cancer Society estimates that over 200,000 cases of melanoma will be diagnosed in the United States this year, with over 1,000 patients in Connecticut alone. While melanoma accounts for only about 1% of skin cancer cases, it causes the most skin cancer deaths. But when detected early, it is easily treated and highly curable. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for melanoma, The goal of the Specialized Programs of Research Excellence in Skin Cancer grant is to better understand the biology of skin cancer with a focus on discovering targets that will lead to improved diagnosis and treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio.
1: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Karen Shake. We're discussing recent advances in breast imaging, and right before the break, we were talking about screening modalities and some of the interesting work that's going on right now in terms of research, looking at contrast-enhanced mammography, which might actually be blend together the best of both worlds in terms of mammography and MRI. But Kieran, another question that comes up, I think, is with regards to the role of ultrasound. So many people will say, geez, you know, I know the data on mammography. My doctor always sends me for a mammogram. Why can't I just have an ultrasound for screening instead of a mammogram? Can you speak to that?
2: And so, in essence, with the different modalities that we have in imaging, each modality kind of gives different information to the radiologist. Mammography is, in essence, an X-ray. Uh, 2D mammography takes two pictures of the breast, and then 3D mammography, which we have is, or also called digital breast tomosynthesis, takes multiple images of the breast at different angles, and then that allows us, you know, to visualize the breast in different layers. And so we have kind of optimized mammography with our 3D mammography and now allows us to see abnormalities that previously were obscured by just overlapping tissue. And that actually has given us like a higher cancer detection rate than just routine 2D mammography. And it's given us almost like an additional two cancers per 1,000. Now, screening breast ultrasound was in essence, recommended for women with dense breast tissue and to be performed in conjunction with mammography. And you may ask then, well, why are we why are we doing breast ultrasound in patients with dense breast tissue and not in patients with, you know, routine breast tissue such as like scattered or fatty kind of tissue? And in essence, it's it's in a kind of a numbers game. They have anyone who has heterogeneously dense or extremely dense breast tissue just has more fibroglandular tissue. So having more of the fibroglandular tissue just naturally increases your risk of developing disease. And then also there's the fact of that obscuring tissue. So what we did is we've been recommending breast ultrasound in these patients with dense breast tissue to see uh, see the tissue in a different way. So besides x-ray, with the ultrasound waves, it penetrates the tissue. And it allows us to see that same abnormality that maybe that mass that we saw in mammography, but then it gives us additional information. Is it a solid lesion or is it a cystic lesion? When those sound waves kind of penetrate through a cyst, which is very pliable and kind of soft on strain, it shows up as this kind of like dark fluid containing structure. While something that's solid and has a lot of strain, it displaces those sonographic waves and it shows up as something more solid and and a, a different appearance on ultrasound. And so that gives us a lot of information. Now for evaluating masses, it's fantastic. But the caveat is again, is those tiny little calcifications. So fundamentally mammography, whether you have dense breast tissue or you have uh, fatty, fatty tissue. Uh, if you're average risk or you're high risk, it's still fundamentally the gold standard screening evaluation because of the fact that it is the best way to evaluate those tiny ducts to see if any kind of subtle calcifications are existing. And that's that's always our goal with screening evaluation, early detection.
1: You know, so this brings up another question. Sometimes different populations of women may have questions about how to screen. So um, particularly women who may have breast implants for augmentation. So they still have breast tissue um, and perhaps even have a family history of cancer or perhaps not. But when they have implants in place, can they still get a mammogram? Talk a little bit about uh, how they should screen for breast cancer. So when a patient has
2: implants, uh, oftentimes the implants now, I would say routinely are placed behind the pectoralis muscle. So we call those retropectoral implants. And that does actually allow us to move the implant. So away from the glandular tissue that's in front of the pectoralis muscle. And so by doing that, we actually take Two different types of pictures with mammography. We'll take a picture with the implant in view, and then we'll actually displace the implant to the side. And so then we take that picture, and then we can evaluate the tissue just as we would re- evaluate the tissue in any routine patient. And so again, we evaluate the tissue and evaluate to see if we see any calcifications, masses, asymmetries, or architectural distortion. In these patients, now if they do, again, same thing, have dense breast tissue where they have a higher percent of fibroglandular tissue, we would recommend them to get a screening breast ultrasound. Some patients with implants, if they've had a lot of surgical history, so we have you know, we have cases of uh, patients that either have had silicone injections uh, when they've gone to other countries and they've actually injected silicone within the tissue, uh, and that can actually then make the breasts. little bit more difficult to interpret. So for those patients, we would recommend a breast MRI to evaluate it just because they have a lot more post-surgical changes and uh, foreign body uh, granulomas and so on within the tissue that it's more, it would be helpful to have that contrast enhanced evaluation with breast MRI. So it is a per case basis, but a routine patient with uh, implants can definitely get screening evaluation just as a patient without implants. And it would be mammography first as the gold standard. And we would do the implant displaced views. And then if they have the dense tissue, we would do the breast ultrasound and then MRI on a per case basis.
1: What about patients who have had bilateral mastectomies? Maybe they've had cancer in the past or maybe they've had bilateral mastectomies prophylactically and they've gotten reconstructed, whether that reconstruction has been with implants or whether it's been with using their own tissue, moving tissue around from their belly, etc., cetera, to create new breasts. So now it looks like they have breasts, although they've had a mastectomy. So should they have imaging for uh, further surveillance or not? And how do we monitor them um, for breast cancer risk?
2: That's a great question. And so I think the most important thing is that when anyone has had any kind of prior history of breast cancer, the relationship with their breast surgeons and plastic surgeons that they've had is a very crucial one. And so a lot of times when a patient has had mastectomy, they still actually have their routine visits with their breast surgeons and breast care team. And on these routine visits, uh, they will evaluate them, ask them if they've noticed any kind of differences in their breasts have they noticed any either focal pain or lump or any kind of new if they still had if they had a nipple sparing mastectomy if they have any kind of nipple discharge from their native nipple any kind of new symptoms and then that's evaluated by that breast surgeon if there are symptoms then we will do imaging and so if the patients had mastectomy uh, there's there's actually no more actual glandular tissue to really be able to image on mammography. So if they have a little small palpable lump, we would do then a targeted ultrasound in that area to evaluate it and see if it's something that's associated with the skin, superficial skin lesion, or if it's something just underneath the dermis and possibly a recurrence. And we can easily see that with ultrasound. If there is actually any other questions where we feel as though there could be additional abnormalities or anything subtle, then we would then could recommend breast MRI and get that conscious enhanced evaluation for evaluating something more subtle. But that would be the mainstay. Uh, With patients that do have mastectomy and then end up actually having a tram flap, those patients then, again, like you describe, having tissue kind of placed and put in that area, there is actually then tissue to do an X-ray of. So if they do have a palpable area in a in a tram flap, then it can uh, mammography can be performed to see what that lump may be. And I would say that sometimes on occasion the mammography is helpful uh, because a lot of times these patients have post-surgical changes like fat necrosis and they develop calcifications and so they have a very uh, distinct appearance on mammography. And so then mammography can be helpful for us to delineate something that's normal like fat necrosis in a tram flap versus something that's abnormal like uh, a recurrence at the edge of the flap.
1: What about men who get breast cancer? So, you know, if a, if a man has developed breast cancer, and we know that about 1% of all breast cancers do occur in men, um, and let's say he, maybe he's got a genetic mutation in BRCA2 or, or whatever, and he has a unilateral mastectomy. So we know that he is still at increased risk in the other breast. Does he need to get mammograms on a yearly basis just like his female counterparts, or how do we screen for the other breast in men who are at increased risk of developing breast cancer?
2: Yeah, and that's actually... uh that's a that's a great question, and I think it's something that we're always trying to pursue, at least even within our research, trying to figure out what is their risk profile and how often they should be screened. We will still actually do lifetime risks. and so uh, if they do have a mutation or if they have also again same thing, lifetime risk of you know greater than twenty five percent, we do have a subset of males that we do routine screening evaluation if they have that very strong evaluation and they would get a um, mammogram on the other side. But I would say more often than not, they end up not being greater than that lifetime risk. And so then it ends up being uh, symptomatic if they have any abnormality that's felt by their, um, their routine uh, follow-up visits by their doctors, then we will do further evaluation with diagnostic exam uh, with again, mammogram, ultrasound, possible MRI to evaluate the abnormality.
1: Perfect. Well, you know, the other question that often comes up is that there's always new technology that's being developed and, and oftentimes being marketed uh, straight to consumers. So things like thermography or elastography. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of these uh, technologies and whether you think that they play any role in, in terms of screening for breast cancer?
2: Sure. I think it's always a good thing to always be thinking out of the box. What are different ways for us to evaluate these abnormalities and see and look at the characteristics of it? So these other uh, imaging modalities, such as thermography and so on, what they're looking at is different characteristics of a cancer. So in essence, if a cancer has angiogenesis, that means it has some vascularity to it, has blood flow to it. So we use contrast and enhanced, uh, you know, mammography and MRI to evaluate that, but then there's also a functional part to the cancer. And so the thermography is, is pretty much based off of that. The only issues with these types of functional methods that we just haven't gotten to the point where they're, uh, they're actual, uh, that we can delineate them very well. They're not, uh, since sens- they're, they're, they're sensitive, but they're not specific. So, in a sense that uh, they can show a lot of you know degree of uh, high high signal in the sense um, where you're seeing a lot of uptake, but then you don't know what it is. Is it something there's an area of inflammation? Is it actually a small cancer? Is it an inflamed sebaceous cyst? It's that it's that specificity that is lacking. And so that's the thing about these other functional-based methods is that we still have to optimize it. So it's not mainstream. And I think the, the issue is is that, uh, is that patients often then depend on these more functional-based methods that don't have that specificity, and then they're not doing the screening exams that have been proven uh, to and that are still also non-invasive uh, and are more effective in, in detecting that cancer. So I think what it is, is a lot of education.
0: Dr. Kieran Shaikh is an assistant professor of clinical radiology and biomedical imaging at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.